Well, hello again, I'm Tony Payne, and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth, where we dig into the truth that Christ crucified brings to our lives as his people, to our lives and our ministries, to everything we do. And in today's episode, we're going to look for one last time at the subject of church and of apostolic ministry. And we're going to respond to a question or a challenge that a good friend of mine uh, put to me after one of my recent episodes on this topic. Uh, before that, just a heads up, later on in this episode, I'll let you know about the partner scheme that is now up and running for The Painful Truth, uh, and in which and through which you can contribute to the work that I'm doing in putting out The Painful Truth and in the other writing ministry I do, but I will mention that a little bit later on. A good friend of mine who probably should remain nameless, but in fact was Cole Marshall, my co-author on The Trellis and the Vine. He sent me a message after one of my recent articles about the church, especially about the heavenly church. And knowing my, my love for golf, his message simply said this, having teed up the church ball so nicely, I can hardly wait to see how straight you hit it. Neither slicing into high congregationalism, nor hooking into low congregationalism. Now, I have to confess, I've edited Cole's message a bit. He didn't say high congregationalism and low congregationalism. He actually used some names of some other good friends of ours that represent those two tendencies or understandings of church. Although, truth be told, he could have used my name, really, for either or both of those tendencies. I feel like at various points in my life, I could have been described in either of those terms. In fact, if I'm honest, sometimes on different days of the week. What Cole really has raised is an issue that's been burbling away in my mind for the last 10 or 15 years, really, and among Reformed evangelical pastors and leaders in my circles, at least. And so who am I to resist? Uh, a holler from the marshal, we might say, to speak on this topic. Um, what am I talking about? What are these two approaches to church or to the congregation and why do they matter? What is, what's the significance? And what might a fairway splitting drive look like? Right down the middle between them. I should also say I'm not entirely happy with the two labels that I've chosen to describe these two tendencies or understandings or approaches. Uh, congregationalism has a long history as a, as a term, as a movement in church polity and as a view about how churches should be governed and organised. I'm not really wanting to buy into that debate, the debate, for example, about whether a congregation should elect its elders and pastors and so on and so forth. I'm really using these two terms to refer to two approaches to the importance of the Sunday congregation. What I mean by high congregationalism is the idea that the actual physical gathering of the local congregation is definitive, is central for our thinking about church. And as a Sydney Anglican, this strain of thinking is, is kind of in my bones, uh, certainly via the teachings of people like Donald Robinson and Broughton Knox. They insisted that the New Testament word for church, that's ecclesia, always referred to an actual gathering of people. That's what the word meant. And accordingly, that the local gathering of people, the local congregation or assembly, was the earthly expression of church. That church didn't reside in a bishop or a denomination or a vague entity, a worldwide entity. Uh, and in their context, the debate was about the value of the World Council of Churches and ecumenism and so on and so forth. But that's a, another story. 
But for them, the regular weekly gathering was the earthly get-together that visibly expressed the heavenly assembly of Christ. The earthly gathering was the household, as it were, that visibly expressed the heavenly household of God. It was the motley but unified bunch of people that visibly expressed the new humanity that Christ had created on the cross. And in this view, all this would be just as true of a traditional structured Sunday congregation that we're used to in our Western church buildings as it would be of an underground house church in China with with very lean or minimal structures around it. Now, I'm almost always a high congregationalist on Sundays. Every Sunday I'm reminded that there's something irreplaceable and vital about this particular group of people that I'm turning up to be with and that I'm committed to, that I pray with each week and stand with and rejoice with and that I speak with with whom also I sit under the word of God as it's read and preached, and who I also get together with during the week for mutual encouragement and help and prayer. On Sundays, I remember that there's something precious about these particular people. There's something precious about the particular newcomers and fringe dwellers as well that God has brought to us to love and to evangelize and to welcome. And there's something noble and necessary about these particular pastors who teach us and exemplify the word of Christ in our midst. Apostolic ministry is people ministry, and these people, these regularly assembling people, are the ones that God has given me to love and who in turn love and care for me. And in this sense, I guess nearly everyone I know is a congregationalist of some kind, and especially so at the moment. As we observed in last week's episode, There are so many benefits of actually getting up and out of the house and being with one another in a particular place. Some very obvious benefits, but also a thousand intangible benefits that come from belonging to and being with a particular group of people. However, for some of my high congregationalist friends, and that's me too on some Tuesdays and Thursdays, The centrality of the local congregation for our view of church goes a bit further and has other implications. It makes you think twice, for example, about the increasingly common practice and long-held practice in some circles of having multi-site or multi-service churches where there are more than one congregation or one gathering that all band together to be a church. It makes you think about whether this is a great idea, or at least it makes you think, how should they be organised? Because if the gathered congregation is the defining and central thing, then surely the identity and integrity of each one of these congregations is very important. In other words, a church with lots of different services within the one building or spread over a couple of sites, isn't it actually a fellowship of churches rather than simply a church? And if so, then it's reasonable to think that each one of those congregations should have its own character and membership and sense of belonging, its own leaders and elders who take responsibility for shepherding this particular flock and to whom this flock submits. Hebrews 13.5 says we should submit to our leaders and so presumably there are some leaders within that congregation. And for some of my higher congregationalist friends, this means that the path to growth, to growing church and to growing ministry is to grow each individual congregation and then to plant new ones, to start new churches, or perhaps to join with and rejuvenate 
other assemblies that are flagging or failing, rather than multiplying services within one local church structure, as it were. So that's high congregationalism, and it has its attractions. But my low congregationalist friends, and that's me on Mondays and Fridays, they lean a little bit harder into the other aspect of what we've been talking about in recent episodes of The Painful Truth. And that is that Christ is building his heavenly church. That's the central thing. And he's doing it not only through the activity of local gatherings, local congregations who assemble together, but he's also doing it through all the various ways and means that apostolic ministry happens beyond and among and between and and outside those local assemblies. On this view, the local assembly or congregation is a very important thing, a supremely important thing, but it's not the only thing. Evangelism and edification, mission, all sorts of different ministries take place beyond the assembly, in the world, and indeed between and among different assemblies. And we see this really quite frequently in the New Testament. And so for my lower congregationalist mates, the urgency of the Great Commission and the need to reach the lost who are out there in droves all around us, it drives us to organise our churches in a way that pursues these purposes in a creative and effective way. For example, the pastoral leadership structures of a particular church or collection of congregations, they might not be tied to each individual congregation but the pastors and leaders might span across various services or congregations who are linked together, and they might work on various key purposes that are being pursued rather than being tied to a particular congregation. And hence, we have youth pastors and mission pastors and maturity pastors and discipleship pastors and so on. And this has been a relatively common thing in in church experience over the last several decades in different places. And if I can call it low congregationalism... It sees this flexibility as being necessary and justified, not only by the urgency of reaching the lost, but by the freedom that the New Testament seems to allow in these matters in structuring church leadership. I find myself attracted to both of these tendencies because they both have strengths. The higher version of congregationalism recognises the extraordinary importance of that group of people with whom I congregate each week. And in particular, how as a fellowship, we're responsible for each other. We have a a commitment to one another's spiritual growth and perseverance. Our pastors lead us in this as members of and leaders of our fellowship. But it's a mutual responsibility we have for one another. We're like a spiritual household in that sense, that's committed to one another in an ongoing, edifying love. The household of faith, I guess you could say whose good I'm especially obliged to work for, as Galatians 6.10 says. And I'm reluctant to embrace a model of, of ministry that doesn't feature this or that downplays this aspect of the importance of the congregation. But then again, it's easy for that view, for a high congregationalist view, to downplay the opportunities for ministry that happen among congregations, between them and beyond them. And low congregationalism very reasonably asks whether the model of pastoral leadership in the New Testament is so clear-cut and so prescriptive as to rule out various congregations banding together to share things, to share buildings and finances, and to share spiritual oversight, collegial oversight. 
as I guess Anglicans have traditionally done in their parishes and as Presbyterians have traditionally done in their presbyteries. And this kind of teamwork among leaders and pastors and congregations is very powerful in making the most of the gifts and resources that God has given us. And I don't just mean financial and property resources, but the gifts and strengths of various members and pastors and leaders who can work together to lead their congregations in mutual edification and in evangelizing the world. And so I'm also reluctant to embrace a model of, of ministry and church that ties the earthly assembly and the heavenly assembly too tightly together, that limits the possibilities for what might happen outside or between or among different congregations, or that treats that sort of apostolic ministry that happens in that different way as somehow of secondary significance. I guess the more I think about the New Testament's emphasis on the heavenly assembly of Christ and how primary that is, the more it leaves me thinking that there is a shot available down the middle of the fairway, a heavenly congregationalism, you might say, that avoids the trees on one side and the bunker on the other. This brand of ministry or congregationalism would recognise the importance of both ways in which Christ is building his heavenly church. That is, through the apostolic ministry that takes place among a particular group of people who actually gather in local assembly and who belong to one another as a community, as well as the apostolic ministry that's active more broadly, that happens beyond that assembly and indeed between and among different congregations who might work together. And on the one side, I guess this would mean giving due weight to the identity and mutual responsibility of, of each gathered congregation and to have leaders, elders, pastors who lead that ministry within that congregation by their doctrine and life. But on the other hand, it would mean being skillful and clever and organised in working out how to band together across congregations and between them to work together with shared resources and structures and ministries and leadership for the sake of ministry and mission. Now, pulling off any shot down the middle of the fairway I always find very difficult, and I don't think this one will be easy either. But if the New Testament is to be our guide, if we're to apprentice ourselves to it, I think it's the path God is calling us to. For the sake of building and growing the church to which we all primarily and firstly belong, and that's the heavenly body of Christ. Well, I hope those reflections were useful and stimulate you to think further about the place of the congregation, the gathered congregation, in God's broader purposes for the glory of his Son. Uh, I might move on from the subject of, of congregations and heavenly assemblies next week. There are some other questions that people have raised, really good ones. I might save them up, though, and come back to them in a little while and move on to a different subject uh, starting next week. The only other thing to mention at this point as we close is that as of today, you can sign up to be a partner in the work of The Painful Truth, and that supports both the work that I do here each week and the other ministry that I do more broadly, the writing ministry especially that I'm engaged in, such as the, the Two Ways to Live revision that I'm currently working on. It's a pretty simple partnership. For my part, I'll keep writing The Painful Truth and delivering it every week as a text and audio journal. Plus, I'll send out some bonus material around once a month, some painful extras. Uh, and I'll also give you the inside track on any books and resources uh, that I end up publishing. And for your part, uh, you chip in something to support me in doing all that. 
Um, and as a bonus, if you could pray for me from time to time, I would really appreciate that as well. Uh, in terms of the contributions themselves, you can do that in three modes, depending on what's most convenient for you or what you'd like to do. There's a monthly partner level at $7 a month. You can be an annual partner and just do one payment of $70 a year. Or if you really want to go all in, you can be a lifetime partner uh, and pay $700 to keep getting all this golden material in perpetuity or until I keel over or Jesus returns. To become a partner, just head over to the website. That's thepainfultruth.online. Thepainfultruth.online. Enter your email address and follow the options from there. Now, if for whatever reason you're not up for the commitment of partnership at this point, that's totally fine, of course. You can still remain a free subscriber to The Painful Truth, and I'll keep sending it to you for free every three weeks or so. Uh, and that'll be the case whether you're uh, listening to this direct from the email or whether you're listening to it via a podcast app through Apple or Spotify or wherever. If you really do want to keep receiving the episodes or articles every week but aren't really in a position to become a partner, that's also fine. I don't want anyone to miss out because of their circumstances. Just let me know. Send me an email at tonyjpain@me.com. tonyjpain@me.com. There's no need to explain or apologize. I fully understand. Just send me a message that says, please put me on the free weekly list and I'll do that for you as well. Be very glad to. Well, that's about it for this week. Thank you for being with me again on The Painful Truth. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.